the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Hey, this is Tyson Mutrix. And really quick before the episode, I want to thank you so much for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. You're going to love this episode. But before we start the show, Jim and I want to invite you to join us for two days with 300 other insane Maximum Lawyers at this year's Maximum Lawyer Conference in June. If you don't have your tickets yet, go to maxlawcon.com so you can have the ability to come to a place with a whole bunch of people who think like you, believe like you, who see visions like you of what they can create and what they can become. MaxLawCon is not just a marketing event. It's not just a business event. It's not just a personal development event. It's all of these things wrapped into one. And as an experience, it will change your life forever. So make sure to get your tickets right now so you can join us and 300 other insane, crazy, fun Maximum Lawyers talking about how to grow their businesses, sharing all the best marketing secrets, the things that are working today. Now go get your tickets by going to maxlawcon.com. All right, now onto the show. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Do the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, my friend. Good to talk to you. We just got off the phone with our planning meeting for the conference, so it's sort of funny to talk to you right away. I was just telling Cheryl, it's really weird. We're recording about an hour later, but it feels way later in the day for some reason. But yeah, it's, it's it, and we usually talk after the show, not before the show, so it's, we flip things today. Well, I'm excited about our guest. She's one of our maximum lawyers. She's a participant in the 366-day video challenge. She handles real estate matters up in the Chicago suburbs. Her name is Cheryl Morrison, and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, Cheryl. So tell everybody about yourself um, and, and how you just tell everybody about your journey. Okay, sure. Gosh, I was actually just sitting here looking at my diploma and I've been licensed for just about 16 years now. The whole time I've been practicing, it's been here in the Chicago area. I actually moved back here from law school in Wisconsin and first got a job in the city at a small commercial litigation firm and spent about a year and a half there before I opened up my own shop and have been a solo practitioner ever since. Took a few years off with my kids and I'm just getting back now into the game in the past few months or so. Let's talk about that decision to leave your big firm job and go out on your own. Talk to us what you were thinking, what your mindset was. Yeah, so I figured if I was going to be hustling, I may as well be hustling for myself. 
And, you know, at the time I knew that eventually I'd want more flexibility with my work to be able to take not only the types of clients and cases that I wanted, but having a better work-life balance for when kids came. Even now with coming back into the practice, having a good balance is really important to me and has sort of guided my decision to stick with the transactional real estate so that I can have that. Previously with litigation, I was in court, you know, every day, morning and afternoon. And, you know, it just wasn't really conducive to the type of balance that I wanted. Sure. One of the biggest struggles that people have is just striking that work-life balance. And I mean, I do a lot of things that I can to protect my time, but it's still really, really difficult. So what are some of the things that you do that help you strike that balance? Because it's really, really hard to do sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to be frank, I haven't always done a great job, but it's a continuing struggle for sure. And, you know, I mean, I took some time off when I decided that you know, that was best. And, you know, at some points I, I worked more and um, I think just constantly reevaluating where you are and what you, your whole life needs, not just work, but family can help guide that. And then just really being protective of my home time and not being afraid of, of making that a priority for me and knowing that, you know, I mean, it's, it's a choice, you know, and those choices have consequences. And I'm okay with, you know, taking a few fewer clients and maybe not doing as huge of cases as I once did so that I can have that time with them. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely an ongoing, ongoing struggle. (laughs) How did you pick the practice area of working in real estate? Yeah. So um, when we did commercial litigation, it was real estate. A lot of it, we worked for some banks and title companies. foreclosures as well. And I, you know, liked that area. And then as I opened my own practice, I started to get more real estate clients and just enjoyed that. I think that it's fun. It's fun change from some other practice areas that I had dabbled with in the past. I did some divorce law. And, you know, while it's great to help people there, I think that real estate is happy law. (laughs) It's kind of a nice place to be. And, you know, it's very... I feel like it's a great practice area to automate, and that sort of helps me with that work-life balance as well. There's lots of things that, you know, every single case you need to do. And, you know, since I'm doing the same, those same things in every single case, it's really good, you know, a good place to automate those things. So that's what I'm working on right now. And with rebuilding my practice is kind of building out those automations as, you know, technology has advanced a little bit in the last few years. And so putting that together. So, Cheryl, whenever I left my previous firm to start my firm, I had been given quite a bit of experience on on actually running the firm. It was a volume firm, but it, it, they really let me, they kind of pulled the curtain back and let me see how things were run, which was really advantageous to me. It seems like going from big law to, to, to I'll call it small law, I guess. I don't know a better term for it. It, it can be a difficult transition, it seems. Is, is that the case? I mean, Talk about leaving the big a big firm environment to going out and you're doing everything. You know, like you talk about mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, well, so I wasn't at a humongous firm before. I it was I think there were maybe 15 attorneys, so it was still a small firm, but it definitely was a very old school firm culture. Um, they didn't really have a lot of technology or anything. So I actually feel like it was a really good transition for me because I wanted to be able to, you know, 
bring things forward a little bit. And, you know, so I didn't really have too much trouble with that transition just there because, you know, it was just, I mean, the firm had been around for forever and they were very entrenched in the way they did things. Um, I mean, it was a great place and I learned a lot. I got a lot of good experience. Um, I mean, they threw me right into court right away and, you know, client contact and all all the stuff that you'd want as an associate. But, you know, it just didn't, I, I like now having that ability to look at what needs to be done and be able to make those choices myself and to try things. Um, I think that's a great benefit of being on your own. Yes, it's scary to have to do all of the things, but it's really empowering to know that when you see a problem, you can do something to fix it. So I try to concentrate on that aspect and not really think about that I'm, I left the established firm. Talk to us a little bit about restarting up your firm about, you know, I, I'm sure we've had other people talk in the group about, you know, taking a hiatus and then trying to get things started again. And I know you and I have talked offline about that a little bit. Um, yeah. So talk to our listeners about what that struggle is like and how that looks. Yeah, it's hard. It's harder than I expected it to be. I'm not a particularly patient person. <laughs> and I've learned that I need to be patient in getting back to things. I wasn't out for too long, just three years or so, but it was enough that, you know, I lost some contacts and, um, you know, some realtors who I had worked with had moved on to other things. So I didn't have those referral sources there. You know, it's also kind of brought to light that, you know, I realize now that the mistakes that I had made before, like I don't think I grew a large enough network of people. I didn't stay in close enough contact with them or even with my past clients. Whereas now um, I'm being very intentional with reopening about making plans to, you know, stay on top of networking and stay in the minds of my past clients so that they'll be referring people to me more so that, you know, I'll, I'll have that better base going forward. But yeah, it's been slow. Um, I'm also trying to limit just to the real estate, whereas before I was a general practitioner. So that's, you know, while I'm excited about that change, and I think that that will, you know, help with the work-life balance I had mentioned earlier, it's hard to turn away cases <laughs> when I'm just getting restarted too. Um, there's like the logic, I know it's okay, but like in my gut, it's just like, oh gosh, you know, I could really use that right now too. So yeah, it's, it's been slow. I mean, I think that things are coming along and they, I know logically they will come together, but it feels, you know, I don't know, it's hard. <laughs> so Cheryl, it's really interesting what you just said, because it, it, it is really hard to turn away money when people are, are sitting in front of you, they want to give you a check or they're on the phone, they say, I've got money to pay you. I mean, do you find yourself taking on cases that you shouldn't be taking on or are you are you doing a good job of filtering out those those cases that you don't really want? And if so, how are you doing that? I'm doing most for the most part, I've actually been doing a good job with it, which I think in the long run will pay dividends. But it feels like a leap of faith to be turning away that business. Um, I definitely am turning away, you know, divorces and, you know, that which I used to do pretty regularly and some other things that I used to do pretty regularly. I'm having a hard time with real estate related things and those ones are hard to turn away like evictions or foreclosures. And I've taken on, you know, done some consultations with that, that I probably should have just referred them out right away. I've taken a couple of estate planning clients, which 
I'm in the back of my mind still thinking that that might be a nice second practice area, but it might make more sense to be building out real estate fully first before taking that. So I struggle with whether or not that's the right decision to do that. But yeah, it's really difficult. It's every day is a struggle of feeling bad for turning things away and then thinking that maybe I shouldn't have. (laughs) It was a mistake. Will I really be able to make this, you know, limited practice area work? I know that everybody says that's the best thing to do, but it still feels very much like a leap of faith at this point. All right. So let's take that on. Let's take that on right now. So what are your favorite kinds of cases and how do you get your best cases? Yeah, I mean, I I love the transactional real estate, helping people buy and sell their homes. Um, I get those cases primarily from referrals from different realtors. As I rebuild, I'm sure I'll get referrals from clients as well. But um, you know that that's going to take some time. But definitely, you know, realtors are are where I'm getting my cases from. Um, Yeah, and what, what I mean, what are some of the things that you're doing? I mean, you know that those are the best sources. So what are some of the things that you're doing or you should be doing to to help foster some of those relationships? Yeah, I've just a couple of weeks ago, I came in when one of the brokerages was doing a continuing education for some of their realtors there. And, you know, they had someone sponsor the local title company sponsor a lunch. And I came in with them and just talked with my about my practice for a few minutes which I didn't expect, you know, in it itself would get me any business. But the great news is that, you know, then they give you the list of people who are there. So I've been following up with them and I'm hoping that, you know, that will in turn yield some business down the road. I'm going to continue to do that sort of stuff. I'm in the the 366-day video challenge um, and I'm hoping that putting that information out there is going to get my name out as, you know, an established person in the real estate space and help. I actually have found that, you know, some realtors are looking at those videos, you know, and I'm reaching out to them as well to try to start building those relationships. I've also recently joined the, as an affiliate member of two of the real estate associations in our area as well and hope to go to events to meet people there too. And then just to be really intentional about following up with them once I do make that initial contact to to see, you know, if I could help them, you know, when they have have new clients come through who are buying or selling. It feels slow. <laughs> it really feels slow to be doing this, but hopefully this is the path to making those connections and getting more referrals. We'll pause for a word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Smith AI. Smith AI is a superior receptionist service for law firms, trusted by many maximum lawyers, including me. At my immigration practice, the hacking law practice, Smith's friendly U.S.-based receptionists respond to potential clients in English or Spanish, screen and schedule new leads, and even take payment for our consults. The best part is that they don't just handle these conversations by phone. They also have live agents and chatbots capturing leads on our website through their chat widget. They serve as our friendly gatekeepers while my team and I work uninterrupted. We get new clients and we get work done. How awesome is that? If you're in a solo or small firm, I know you'll appreciate this. Plans start at just $70 a month for calls and $100 a month for chats. They even offer a totally free chatbot, so there's no excuse. Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why attorneys like me say Smith AI receptionists are the secret to business growth. Smith AI offers a free trial and maximum lawyer listeners get an extra $100 discount with promo code MAXLAW100, that's M-A-X-L-A-W-1-0-0. 
Sign up and learn more at www.smith.ai. Trust me when I say, don't let another day go by. Try Smith AI. You're back on the Maximum Lawyer Podcast with our guest, Cheryl Morrison of Cheryl Morrison Law. She's a real estate attorney from the Chicagoland area. We've been talking about where her cases come from. And one of the things, Cheryl, that it occurs to me is that, you know, I work in immigration where about 80% of the people go through the process without a lawyer and they're sort of happy about that. Do people in Illinois have to use an attorney to do a real estate transaction? And if not, does that make it harder for you? But how can you educate them that they might need a lawyer? Yeah, actually, I'm pretty lucky in that regard. In the Chicagoland area, it's pretty standard for people to use real estate attorneys when they're buying and selling. So it's not a matter of convincing them that they do need to hire somebody. Um, It's just a matter of being the person that they hire. Now, my understanding is that if you go to Southern Illinois, that it's not the case and that people do buy and sell without real estate attorneys. But in my area, it's pretty much a given which is good. <laughs> it's a good place to be, not to have to convince people that they need a lawyer. I mean, I mean, that really is a good thing. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's I mean, I was responding to an email yesterday about, you know, does it make financial sense for them to get an injury lawyer? And so I had to explain that to me. It's really easy to explain, but it's not. But so here's my question. So how do you compete with some of the silk stocking firms? Because, and again, I, I mean, I don't think it's that common in Missouri to get a lawyer, but at, when doing the same thing, but uh, maybe it's just way different in Illinois. How, I mean, how do you compete with the bigger firms whenever you are a a smaller fish? I mean, I know how it is. I'm a smaller fish compared to the bigger Mm -hmm. firms. So how do you compete with those bigger firms? Yeah. You know, I actually think that the bigger problem is that people think that, you know, it's just a real estate transaction, you know, and they'll go to, I recently had one where they the other side hired an attorney who she isn't really practicing. She actually lives in Indiana, you know, over the, I'm near the Indiana border, you know, so she's somewhere in there. She doesn't actually practice here at all. She's just licensed here and, you know, of was a friend of a friend. So they, they just hired her to do it because it's just the real, you know, a real estate transaction. So I think that the bigger issue is, you know, convincing people that it is important to have somebody who actually specializes it and and knows more about it, that it's not something that just any attorney should be doing. You know, I mean, usually things go smoothly, but when it's not someone who's practiced in the area, I mean, like any, like any type of law, you know, you just don't know the ins and outs as well. And it slows things down, which is a a huge problem in real estate where people might be selling and then buying a new house the same day. And if that person shows up without all the things that they need, you know, it becomes a problem. So there isn't really, you know, a competition with huge law firms from the city so much as people, you know, hiring just whomever to get it done. And I think that countering that is just really making those relationships with real estate agents and hoping that they're telling people they really shouldn't, you know, be using just anybody to do their transactions. And then, I mean, that's part of what I've been doing with my videos too, is trying to highlight some issues where there's a concern and letting people know that this is why it's important that you should hire somebody who specializes in real estate rather than doing, you know, one transaction every other year. So that's, I think that's where, for my practice area, that balances, you know, the fight that I have. Right. So I think that's, 
that's interesting. I didn't even think about lawyers who dabble in them. So, I mean, you and I are sort of in the same boat, that there's people who think they can just dabble in immigration. There's people who, you know, have a brother-in-law who wants to, uh, you know, help, help because they're a lawyer so they can get their brother-in-law to help them with the transaction or they don't really see the need for it or the value. So, I mean, I think maybe you could market against that. I mean, maybe you could market against this idea that, you know, just having my brother who's a personal injury lawyer do my closing sounds like a crazy idea. I think I think you could do some videos about that. Yeah, you know, I had started down the path for one video I did and I, you know, just did a quick, you know, how to how to find a good attorney for whatever your problem is, you know, take a look at their website. How many practice areas are they listing? The more practice areas they list and the more you know, divergent those areas are, the less likely that's your person, you know, especially if it's, you know, a one or two attorney shop, you know, there's no way that you're covering, you know, 14 different practice areas and doing everything frequently. So, you know, I wonder if I was just thinking about something um, that Russ Nesovich does, and and a lot of people that do that are um, do financial planning and estate planning, they, they do these seminars. I wonder if it makes sense to do seminars for realtors. Is, is that something that would make sense? Yeah, I, I think that that's a great idea. And, you know, something I've been toying around with, too, because um, I have seen that, you know, estate planners do seminars. Um, and I, I haven't come up with any topics. You know, I think I need to find a couple realtors to ask what they might be interested in to see what would work for that. But I think that that would be awesome because you'd be able to provide them some value and maybe that would in turn earn their trust so that they'd send some business my way. Yeah, that's a great idea. Do real estate agents have, like we, we have continuing legal education, do they, do they have hours they have to maintain their license? I think they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So I wonder if you couldn't do like a little online course for them or a little webinar that they could get their hours, like you could get approved ahead of time or, you know, I think that's a, a great angle. And, you know, one thing I, I would really suggest, Cheryl, is you should really dig in deep to Dean Jackson. You know, he's my marketing hero, but he started in real estate and he did a, he does courses for agents and all that stuff. But I would think that so much of those oh. lessons would apply. Yeah. Okay. That's a great tip. And the other thing Dean. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, Dean Jackson, I'll send you some stuff. Yeah. I think the CLE route is a good idea. I think that you, I think that this would be a great, a great use of your time too. If, if things aren't, if the cases aren't coming in, I think just building a database of all the heavy hitter realtors and even the smaller realtors who might not be working with the lawyer. And if the, I would spend a lot of time researching, like which real estate lawyers are doing a lot of the closings, who, mm-hmm. who, who are the free agents, the agents that don't really have someone that they're connected to. And I would just be having lunches twice a week, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea of trying to find, you know, who's looking for, you know, an attorney to look, work with. I imagine that the newer real estate agents really don't have a regular person yet and they might be great people to start targeting for that. Jimbo, I agree. And I, I think I mean I think even come up with like a YouTube channel completely completely devoted to videos because you're already doing the, the video challenge and maybe you're already doing this, yeah. but having a, vi- a video channel, YouTube channel just dedicated to realtors and asking those simple questions so you're like the go to lawyer. And mm-hmm. I mean you could be like the go to lawyer in Illinois, which would be really, really amazing. I mean, how are you, what are you doing with your videos now? <laughs> I'm completely uncomfortable being on video. I, I started doing them and just posting them on YouTube. And then I realized that that was not going to get me very far, very fast. So then I started putting them on Facebook and, you know, my business page is mostly like family and friends at this point. And I, I was just doing the videos targeted toward, 
you know, what buyers and sellers might want to hear. Although I've done some videos, though, as it's dawned on me that maybe, you know, I should be doing things that realtors might be interested in. I've sort of moved there a little bit. And in doing that, when I have a video that I think might interest realtors, I've been posting it on LinkedIn. And that's actually working pretty well for me right now. I have a bunch of realtors and loan officers that have, you know, either liked those videos or, um, you know, have reached out to connect with me on there. And, you know, now I'm in the phase with, oh, okay, this is happening. I need to reach out to these people and see if they want to meet in person now that, you know, they've found me on here. But, you know, I mean, it's not tons of people, but, you know, a couple of new connections a week. So I think that that is a great idea because I think that there's a lot of interest there, you know, that people who I, I don't know and haven't connected with me are seeing this stuff and, you know, watching it. So it's a great idea to move the the videos, you know, and maybe do a channel just devoted to things that realtors might might want to know. Cheryl, what's your biggest stumbling block here as we record at the end of February 2020? What's holding you back? My biggest challenge is knowing where to focus my energy because I feel like I have this gigantic list of things that I'd like to get accomplished and it's hard to stay focused to do, you know, to do one thing and finish it before moving on to the next. So I'll do a little bit on automation and then I'll, you know, trying to figure out the video thing and, you know, how to make that better and then, you know, just doing the work. Um again and you know focus on what to do first is my biggest challenge i think all right so i hate to do this now but we do have to wrap up jimmy's got some other appointments he's got to go to before i do i want to remind everyone go to the facebook group get involved there also if you want to improve your practice you work on your practice you've been telling yourself oh my gosh i've got to work on my practice but i'm stuck in it then what you need to do is you need to go to maxwellcon 2020 and learn from all the amazing speakers that we have coming. I, I promise you, you you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to learn a lot. Jimbo, what's your hack of the week? So we're in the process of implementing FileVine, and we're getting the team together once a week. And my my tip or hack is there's great value in seeing how other people work on your software in your firm. So if if your firm is growing, or if you have multiple people doing the same things. You're not always the smartest person when it comes to that piece of software. And sometimes you can learn just by getting everyone together and talking about how they use the software. We did this yesterday for an hour. And this is after we've had about six hours of FileVine training and some hands-on stuff. People have been using it now for about 10 days. And just getting everyone together in one room and talking through how they're using it and how they want to use it was really powerful. And it helped everyone come away with some easier shortcuts and, and ways to use the software better. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Cheryl, what is your tip or hack of the week for us? Yeah, my tip is to do some videos. It's been so fun. Um, I know that, you know, we're already in the video challenge, but if there's anybody who didn't do it, I would definitely say still start. I have, I could have still been thinking about putting out content on video, um, you know, but just jumping in and starting to do it has been the best thing for me. There's just no way to do it perfectly without doing it. So to keep thinking about it and thinking about it isn't really forward progress, but, you know, actually doing it is, is great. And, you know, it's, it's helping and it's starting to get me thinking the right mindset for what, you know, my clients and my referral partners might, might want to hear. So it's been great. So yeah, do video. All right. So my tip to me is extremely basic, but it hit me on Saturday whenever 
I was at Cub Scouts with, with Jackson and we, we went out, uh, the, all of us Cubs, uh, in the Cub Scouts, we went out with on the, on the trail, we were hiking and we were taking pictures and things like that. And I was talking to the den leader and I was like, hey, do you want me to send you the pictures? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he's like, I'll text them to you. I was like, oh, wait, I was like, wait you, got an, you have an iPhone, right? And he said, yeah. I was like, well, let me airdrop it. He's like, what's that? So for those of you that don't know what airdrop is, you're missing out. So if you've ever, if you ever find yourself sending a bunch of bulk photographs via text message and they don't always go through or you try to email them and they're too big so they don't go through, airdrops for you. If you're trying to find it, go to the search function on your iPhone, type in airdrop and it'll come up and you turn on airdrop. You can do it for your contacts only. You can turn it off. You can do it for everyone. And everyone that's in range with you that has an iPhone, and maybe it works with Android, I don't think it does, but everyone's got an iPhone and they've got theirs on too. You click a button and it automatically sends it to them via Bluetooth. It is, and it takes a matter of seconds, like one, two, three seconds. It's really, really quick. So those of you that have not used AirDrop, I really recommend it. I know that for a lot of you, that's probably really, really basic, but the guy I was talking to was like my age, he's 37, and so I was like, oh my gosh, I thought you should have known this, but I guess not everybody knows about it. So AirDrop's really, really amazing. Cheryl, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of great talk. It was really interesting to learn about you. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I've really appreciated it. Great talking with you guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.